Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Stephanie. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect workshop, Managing the Costs of Living with Cancer. This is a very important topic, and many of you have expressed interest in this topic, and, and there are lots of you on the call today. So, um, And we have a very extensive faculty to address this topic. Now, today also happens to be World Cancer Day, and I was discussing this with our speakers before the call started. And actually, uh, Dr. Saltz, I'm going to quote him. Um, he's one of our speakers who said, really, every day is really um, World Cancer Day for anybody who's living with cancer or affected by cancer. So, but this is a day that is acknowledged um, as World Cancer Day. And we'll be sending you information about this, um, this day and, and what it means uh, throughout the world. And indeed, the costs of living with cancer are an issue globally as well as in the United States and um, so that uh, we couldn't be doing this call at a more appropriate time. Um, now, this program is um, a, an event that Cancer Care does, but it also is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer, care organi many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. So we have on the call today over 650 participants, and you come from all the United States, from all different parts of the United States, and different regions, and we also have international participants from Canada, Ireland, Korea, Lebanon, Tanzania, Tunisia, and the United Kingdom, so really from all over the world, and it's a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us on the call, and indeed, uh, if nothing else highlights how important the issue is cost is, it's just the, the numbers of countries on the call, in addition to the United States, struggling with these issues. Now, today's um, activity was made possible by Teva Pharmaceuticals, Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, and Orthoclinical Diagnostics. And I really want to thank them for their support of the program, but also for their collaborative corporate partnership in making this program possible. It's a really important one. I'd like to turn your attention for a moment to the materials that you have been sent uh, from Cancer Care. And those materials is information about our speakers, the topics they'll be addressing, and there also is information about all those different collaborating organizations that are free resources for all of you in addition to the free resources from Cancer Care. Now, in addition, there is an evaluation form, and I would ask you all at the end of the program today to complete that form and either mail it back to us or email it back to us. We so appreciate your feedback. Indeed, this particular topic is one that many of you have said we need help with, and please do a workshop on this. So if you identify a topic, we're going to try very hard to do a workshop on that topic. Indeed, this is the beginning of 2015, which means we're planning all of our programs for the year, and your topic, your suggestions and recommendations could not come at a better time. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Leonard Saltz. And Dr. Saltz is Chief Gastrointestinal Oncology Service, Head Colorectal Oncology Section, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Dr. Saltz is going to address an overview of cancer and its costs and talking with your healthcare team about your financial concerns. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Saltz. Thank you very much. Uh, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you today. What I'm going to try to do in the next five or six minutes is just give you an intro to uh, the topic, and then uh, you'll, you'll hear some speakers with a lot of backup information, and then we'll, we'll have some questions afterwards. Um, I think it's really important that we're talking about this 
reality that cancer does cause what we've started to call financial toxicity for patients. And if you think about it, when you're talking about getting a treatment from a doctor, you're going to ask about toxicity or side effects. You're going to ask, what will it do to me? Will it cause nausea? Will it cause tiredness? Will it cause hair loss? And it's uh, important to understand it's okay, it's appropriate to ask, will it cause financial toxicity? Will it cost me money? Now, we have a sense in our society that insurance ought to cover everything, and it would be lovely if it were true, but more and more the term that's being used in the insurance industry is, co is a cost-sharing model, which we may also think of as just not all that thorough insurance, because what that cost-sharing means is a substantial portion of the cost is going to be borne by the patient. Now, it's, it, it's important to appreciate how expensive uh, cancer treatment has become. Most of the drugs being approved for uh, cancer over the past couple of years are coming through at a price in the range of nine to $10,000 per month. And so if one has insurance that covers that fully, that's, that's wonderful, but if one has insurance that covers uh, only a percentage of that, even if a small percentage is the patient's responsibility, that can rapidly become a lot of money. And often there are alternatives for treatment that may be minimally or non-different in terms of how well they might work, but enormously different in terms of cost. These are okay to ask about in terms of speaking with your, your healthcare team. And, and uh, it's really important to realize that uh, when you talk to your doctor, your doctor is going to ask you very personal questions, going to ask about your bowel habits, your bladder habits, your, your sexual function and habits, because these are relevant to quality of life and, and, and providing good care. It, in that context, to say that we'd be uncomfortable with any kind of financial discussion just sort of seems silly, and I think we need to keep it in that perspective. There are a number of places where um, you, the patient, do run the risk of being exposed to financial toxicity and may potentially have important options that can be used. So for example, most people have insurance that will be using a particular formulary. That means a list of drugs that that insurance provider has approved. And there may be very similar drugs um, that are really just different brands of the same product um, that aren't on the formulary such that if your doctor prescribes one particular drug for nausea, let's say, um, and it's on the formulary, you may have either no copay or a very trivial copay of a few dollars. Whereas if the doctor uses another brand of a very similar compound, um, that may be much more expensive for you and yet much less expensive for the next patient that comes into the office because that patient may have a different provider for insurance. And so it's important that you and your doctor be aware of what your coverage is and which drugs are going to have which um, potential out-of-pocket costs and responsibilities to you. Um, it's really important to understand that the, the primary interest of the, of the team taking care of you is your overall well-being. We use the term quality of life. Um, I, I think that's a little confusing and sometimes people lose, lose track of uh, exactly what that means. But essentially what the focus is, 
are you as healthy and as happy as we can have you be while you're undergoing cancer treatment? And our hope is always that the cancer treatment is going to be a modest inconvenience but not a dominant force in your life and that you're going to be able to continue to be doing the things that are meaningful to you. Uh, and uh, within that context, being aware of how you're going to cope with the financial responsibilities that get thrust upon you um, when, when, when you're, you're saddled with the cancer diagnosis uh, is an important part of, of, of maintaining your quality of life and, and your um, sense of control of the situation in, 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 in the context of, of managing the cancer. So that's the major message that I wanted to uh, give for an introduction. Yes, you will be vulnerable to costs. Knowledge is power. Understanding what costs and what cost options are there are important for you in terms of being able to anticipate, manage, and, 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 uh, and in many cases avoid costs where there are options that are less costly. And at the end of the day, all things come down to communication. When in doubt, ask. Never be shy to speak to your doctor or nurse or, or provider about any issue that's important to you. Uh, at this point, I'm uh, about out of my allotted time, so I'll stop there, and I'll be happy to come back for questions later. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Saltz. That was a wonderful overview and really significant issues about the communication piece and lots of things that I know people will want to ask you during the Q&A, so thank you. And our next speaker is, uh, is Deborah Wolf. Deborah Wolf is an attorney. She's a supervising attorney, Legal Health, New York Legal Assistance Group, or NILAC. Um, and uh, Ms. Wolf is going to address understanding the benefits and limitations of your health care coverage, tips in appealing medical insurance claims, and provided denials. And she will say something also about the Affordable Care Act. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Deborah Wolf. Thank you, Dr. Messner. And I'm pleased to be a part of this teleconference with Cancer Care. There have been a lot of positive changes in health coverage with the implementation of this Affordable Care Act. I'll first be discussing how best to understand both the benefits and limitations of your health coverage, also some of the changes with the Affordable Care Act, as well as tips for appealing claim denials. In discussing health coverage as well as appeals, it's important to know that there are different types of insurance plans, and these include group policies from employment, union benefits, privately purchased policies, as well as policies now available through the Affordable Care Act marketplace. I'll also briefly discuss Medicaid and Medicare. The insurance laws of your state may also require certain minimum benefits. So your rights may vary depending on where you live. So this will be very general advice relating to everyone, but it's also important to understand the laws of the state you live in. As a start, the most important advice I can give is to have and read a copy of your policy, or at the very least, a summary description of your policy. And as Dr. Saltz mentioned, also review the drug formulary um, with your policy. This will outline your benefits, any coverage limits, and the appeals process, which we'll discuss in a bit. Your insurance company can also be a very good resource to call if you have questions about what is or is not covered. Even with the Affordable Care Act, insurance policies are still allowed to have certain coverage limits, so you do have to understand your benefits. 
You also need to know whether your policy is an HMO, which allows only in-network doctors, or a PPO or POS that allows for out-of-network doctors, but often at a much reduced reimbursement rate, which means that your contribution or cost share will be higher. With an HMO, you generally have a co-payment and sometimes a deductible, and that's the extent of your financial responsibility if your doctor is in-network. With other policies, your out-of-network doctor can bill you directly for any amount not paid for by your insurance. So you have to understand advance, in advance the limits of your policy so that you can make informed decisions about your medical care. I'm sure everyone has heard of some of the good changes with the Affordable Care Act, and I want to review a few that have impacted benefits for everyone. Now, because of the Affordable Care Act, insurers must sell and renew health insurance regardless of health status. This is called guaranteed issue, and a person can't be denied insurance based on their health. Also, most insurers can no longer refuse coverage based on pre-existing conditions. A small number of policies that were in existence before 2010 are grandfathered, meaning they don't have to comply with the Affordable Care Act, so it's important to read all insurance documentation. Another important change that has already made a big impact for many of the people I work with is the requirement that insurance companies can no longer limit the amount they will pay for medical costs over the year or the person's lifetime. There are no monetary caps on coverage. This means that an insurance company can no longer say, once we spend a certain amount of money, you're no longer covered. A health insurance marketplace now operates in every state. In the marketplace, you can compare different plan benefits, see if you're entitled to government-paid subsidies to lower the cost of your plan, and determine if you may be eligible for free coverage under Medicaid. You can also access this information at the federal site, which is healthcare.gov. All plans must now cover essential health benefits, which is a long list which includes outpatient and emergency services, prescriptions, hospitalization, mental health, and preventive care, and more. There are four levels of coverage, but none pay 100% of costs, so it's important to review the choices to determine the best coverage for you. But even with these good changes, policies can still limit certain coverages. This might include the number of physical therapy visits or home nursing visits allowed per year. Any limits or exclusions must be set forth in the policy or the description. Plans through the healthcare marketplace are HMOs, and many limit out-of-state benefits um, and limit you to certain doctors. So you must review the policies offered and discuss with those who offer support, such as your medical team or a social worker, to make sure you'll be covered for all necessary treatment and care. That's why it's important to read and understand your benefits if your policy requires pre-authorization, and most do for major medical procedures and radiology, such as PET scans and MRIs, make sure you either check with your doctor's office or insurance company to confirm that the procedure was approved. If you have an HMO, make sure all your doctors are in network, and if you're having surgery, make sure all doctors involved, such as your anesthesiologist, are in network. 
This is also an area in which it's important to understand any state laws. For example, in New York where I practice, we have a new law that prohibits this balance billing from out-of-network providers in certain circumstances, so make sure to speak to someone knowledgeable in your state. Moving to Medicare and Medicaid, these are both government-sponsored health insurance, and both have been improved with the Affordable Care Act. Medicare is a federal program with rules that are uniform to all participants in, 50, in all 50 states. Medicare is available to most people age 65 or older who are citizens or permanent residents, and if under age 65, a person who's been receiving Social Security disability benefits for a period of 24 months. Medicare is not available to others with some very limited exceptions. Medicare coverage consists of a number of parts. Part A, which provides free hospital coverage. Part B, medical insurance, which requires a monthly premium. Part D, the prescription drug insurance plans, which are provided through private insurance companies that have contracts with the government. And there's also Part C, which allows private health insurance companies, such as HMOs and PPOs, to provide Medicare benefits. These Medicare private plans, private health plans, are sometimes called Medicare Advantage plans. So similar to private insurance, you'll get more preventive services for less, as well as a free yearly wellness visit. Part D prescription coverage has also been improved by the gradual elimination of the donut hole, which limited prescription drug coverage. Medicare benefits are limited and don't cover the entire cost of medical treatment, often up to 80%, but the remaining 20% can be very costly, especially with the cost of cancer treatment. Many people purchase additional Medicare GAP policies to supplement Medicare, and I should point out that these policies are exempt from the Affordable Care Act requirements, and some may even have pre-existing condition exclusions, so make sure to read these plans and ask questions to make sure you understand all the benefits. Medicaid can also act as a secondary insurance to Medicare for people who qualify, and I'll talk about that in one minute. I also want to note that enrollment in both marketplace plans as well as Medicare are done during an open enrollment period, and if you miss these deadlines, you may have to wait until the following year to enroll. The deadline for the Affordable Care Act plans is February 15th. Medicare um, deadlines vary. There are exceptions, though, so make sure to speak to someone knowledgeable in this area. Moving now to Medicaid, Medicaid insurance is a federal-state partnership with shared authority and financing. Certain eligibility rules are established mainly by each state and vary depending on where you live, so it's important to know your state medical requirements and regulations. Access is based on being low income with a limit on how much you can have in income, assets, and resources. For those who are disabled, and cancer usually qualifies as a disability or elderly with higher income, one can often become eligible through special Medicaid programs. With the Affordable Care Act, in about one-half the states, Medicaid has been expanded to increase coverage to more lower-income people, including groups such as childless couples that have not always had access to Medicaid. And as I mentioned earlier, one application will determine eligibility for Medicaid or a health plan through the marketplace, as well as any subsidies for the premium.
Medicaid recipients are also entitled to the same benchmark benefit package that meets the minimal essential health benefits that are available in the new health insurance exchanges. Now, Medicaid is free and it's desirable for many people with cancer because it offers often needed home nursing or home attendance for help in the home, as well as nursing home coverage, generally with no co-pays and, as I said, um, no premiums. The goal of the Affordable Care Act is to en enhance the quality of care for all Americans, regardless of whether they have private insurance, Medicare, or Medicaid, but even with these protections, claims are sometimes denied. Your insurance company is required to provide an explanation of benefit, called an EOB, for each claim reviewed. The EOB outlines the amount paid by your insurance, your required contribution, which can be your copay or deductible, and if not paying, the reasons for denial. It's important to read every EOB to make sure your claim has been paid, and if not, the reasons for the denial. When a claim is denied, your first step should be to call the insurance company right away to discuss. There are many reasons a claim may be denied, and often the insurance company just needs more documentation from your doctor's office to approve. Claims are also sometimes denied for administrative reasons that are easy to fix. For example, the claim has the wrong code. Make sure to keep track of every call or letter, writing down the date and who you spoke with at your insurance company. Now, with the Affordable Care Act, health plans and insurance companies have to tell you why they've decided to deny a claim with very specific information. You also have the right to request a full copy of your insurance file prior to the appeal to see how they reached their decision, including notes made by the case handler and any reports by the insurance company doctor who reviewed your claim. If the matter can't be resolved by speaking with the insurance company, you have the right to file an appeal directly to your insurance company. Often the first appeal is submitted through your doctor's office. So as Dr. Saltz mentioned, the, another step is to talk to your medical team to get some support in, in the appeal. In your written appeal, you have to document the reasons you disagree with the insurance company and always include medical records and a letter from your treating doctor. And I always ask the treating doctor to review the denial letter and respond in writing. Under the Affordable Care Act, your insurance company must conduct a full and fair review of its decision. If the case is urgent, your insurance company has to speed up the process. And if they deny the appeal, you will then have the right to request an external review, which gives you the right to file an appeal to an outside, objective, and independent panel, no matter where you live or what type of health insurance you have. This means that independent medical professionals with no financial stake in the claim make the final decision. And the insurance company no longer gets the final say over many benefit decisions. If the external reviewer overturns your insurance denial, your insurer must give you the payments or services you requested in your claim. Another important Affordable Care Act protection is expanded consumer assistance. This requires that states designate an independent office of health insurance consumer assistance that will respond to inquiries and complaints and help file complaints and appeals. There should be a contact number on your marketplace website or through healthcare.gov. Finally, it's very important to make sure you understand your time limits to file appeals as these are very strict deadlines. 
If you have a policy from employment, the time limit is 180 days. For other plans, the deadline will be set forth in the policy, but is often as short as 60 days. But remember, an insurance policy is a contract, meaning you have to adhere to the rules laid out in the contract. The good news is that around half of all denied claims that are appealed to the top are finally allowed coverage, and the percentage for external reviews is even higher. If you draw on the resources available to you and have medical support for your claim, you stand a good chance of having your claim paid. Medicaid or Medicare are both governed by federal or state law, but you're also entitled to an appeal and an external review if your claim is denied. So if the claim is denied, you'll get written notice about how to appeal, and you must read these notices. And um, when appealed, again, even a higher percentage of these cases are reversed on appeal. To summarize, it's important to read your policy so that you understand your coverage, what's required of you, how to appeal, and any deadlines imposed. Appeal deadlines are strict, so make sure to read your explanation of benefits from the insurance company and respond on time. I know it's often difficult to keep on top of insurance matters with so much else going on, but with an understanding of what your rights and responsibilities are, as well as help from your medical team and groups such as cancer care, you'll be able to navigate any insurance issues that come up. I also want to briefly mention that there's a National Cancer Legal Service Network, a group of attorneys like myself who offer free legal help to people with cancer, and you can check the website to see what help may be available to you in your state, and that website is nclsn.org. Thank you. Thank you very much, Deborah. And could you just give that uh, website one more time to everybody, and we'll send it off to everybody. just want to be sure we have it correctly. Sure. So it's N as in Nancy, C as in cat, L as in love, S as in Sam, and N as in nancy.org stands for the National Cancer Legal Service Network. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful if people know about that. That's terrific. And they have an 800 number as well, or it's really just a, a website? Just a website right now. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. A very informative presentation, as always, and thank you very much. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Um, and our next presenter is Michelle McCourt, and Ms. McCourt is Director, Cancer Care Co-Payment Assistance Foundation at Cancer Care. And this court is going to address understanding and accessing co-pay assistance programs. And I'm delighted to have her with you and to kind of explain this to you. Many of you may not understand how those co-payment assistance programs work. So it's my pleasure to uh, turn this program over to Ms. McCourt. Thank you, Carolyn. Good afternoon, everyone. As Carolyn said, my topic today is to discuss understanding and accessing co-payment assistance programs. As we all heard throughout today's program, cancer is an expensive illness. And as New and innovative treatments have become available. Cancer has evolved from an acute illness to more of a chronic condition. The stress of worrying about how to afford paying for treatment is very wearing on a patient and can really get in the way of managing and treating their disease. There are several different types of programs available to help patients get access to their prescribed therapy. There are pharmaceutical manufacturer programs. To qualify for this type of program, the patient has to be taking a medication manufactured by the drug company. The drug company will typically offer two types of programs, one for uninsured or underinsured patients and another for patients that have commercial insurance. For the uninsured, these programs are usually referred to as patient assistance programs. 
In order to qualify, the patient must have no insurance or a plan that excludes the medication. If eligible for this type of program, the drug is provided free. For patients with private insurance, a lot of the drug companies offer copayment assistance programs. Some programs provide coupons, and the most a patient may have to pay out of pocket for the medication is $25. Others offer a copayment assistance program that will cover the entire copay cost through a copay card. In order to be eligible for these programs, there is usually an income limit, and the patient cannot have federal health or state insurance, such as Medicare or Medicaid. To find out about these types of programs, you can check with your doctor or pharmacist, or you can do an internet search using the name of the drug. Another important website that keeps a current listing of these programs is needymeds.com. You can also contact patient organizations like Cancer Care that provide these types of referrals. Other types of programs are offered by independent not-for-profit foundations. These copayment assistance foundations can assist patients with any type of insurance, including patients with federal health insurance like Medicare. The difference with these programs is they are administered by nonprofit groups that have funding available for a specific type of cancer. These programs are disease-specific, whereas the pharmaceutical programs are drug-specific. There are approximately eight national copayment assistance foundations. Some provide assistance with copayments and coinsurance for prescription medications, while others also offer assistance with insurance premiums. Once you have been referred to a foundation, get in touch with them right away to start the application process. Each foundation has its own criteria and process, but for the most part, all foundations have established financial and medical criteria that need to be documented as part of the application process. If approved, most foundations will establish a third-party payer relationship with the pharmacy or infusion provider or provide some sort of a uh, access card for payment. Patients who have Medicare as their primary insurance and have a limited income but aren't eligible for full state assistance often don't realize there are other types of coverage that might be available to them through a Medicare savings program. You can get help from your state to pay for your Medicare premiums and in some cases to pay for the Medicare deductibles, coinsurance, and copayments if you meet certain conditions. There are four types of Medicare savings programs. Qualified Medicare Beneficiary, QMB, Specified Low-Income Medicare Beneficiary, SLMB, Qualified Individual, QI, or Qualified Disabled and Working Individuals, QDWI. If you have a prescription drug coverage plan through Medicare, uh, Medicare Part D plan, you may be eligible for extra help or low-income subsidy. If eligible, this assistance would greatly reduce your out-of-pocket costs for prescriptions. There are also state pharmaceutical programs and programs for the elderly. To find out more information about these programs and to, to apply for assistance, you can go online to medicare.gov and click on the Your Medicare Cost tab or you can call Social Security at 1-800-772-1213. The best way to find out about all of these assistance programs is to discuss these access and affordability issues with your oncologist. There may be a financial counselor or oncology social worker on staff that can help you find assistance. 
or again, an internet search on the name of your medication or the manufacturer who makes the medication will have a listing of any resources available, including reimbursement support programs. Thank you. This concludes my presentation. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. That was very comprehensive and lots of wonderful resources for everyone, which we will be sending out to all of you as well to repeat them so you'll all have that information as well. And our next speaker is Sarah Kelly. And Sarah Kelly is our Older Adult Program Coordinator at Cancer Care. And Ms. Kelly is going to address uh, managing the medical and indirect costs of treatment, understanding and accessing financial assistance programs, emotional and social impact of the costs of treatment and follow-up care, and tips on finding resources for financial assistance. So I'm now going to turn this program over to Ms. Kelly. Thank you, Dr. Messner. And I'd actually like to thank everyone on the call. I think we've got a lot of really good information today. So as Dr. Messner said, my name is Sarah Kelly. I'm an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care. And what I'm really going to talk about is what are some ways that you can navigate this? What are some ways that you can reduce also some of the stress that's related to dealing with the finances connected with your care? You know, I want to take us back a little bit um, to Dr. Saltz and what he was saying in the beginning, um, really that knowledge is power. And I think that's such a huge piece of this. You know, when you're diagnosed and everything is feeling so overwhelming, you know, being able to take charge um, of some of this uh, really, really can help reduce the stress and also can increase what he talked about, the quality of life which can be a little confusing, I think, when you first hear it. But he used the words overall well-being, and I really loved that because that's really what this is about. Um, you know, how can you increase your overall well-being? How can, how can you kind of keep where you are with that while going through all of this and being so stressed out? You know, cancer is an expensive illness, and the financial concerns with it are understandable as well as a significant source of stress. And I think the key with this really, and we've been talking about this, is having that conversation, having an open conversation about the cost of your cancer and the cost of your care really helps you become better informed about the financial options. And the hope is to reduce the financial impact of your illness, or as Dr. Salt said, the financial toxicity, which I also loved because it really integrates it in the, into this. You know, I think when you can manage those medical expenses, it really helps in terms of your overall care. So the first thing with this is really understanding your insurance policy. You know, you want to understand what's covered, what's not covered. You know, Ms. Wolf talked about this in depth, and I can't stress uh, how important this is. Look through your policies, read carefully to understand your benefits, Contact your health insurance provider when you have questions. You know, what portion of the medical expenses are you responsible for paying? Are your doctors even a part of the plan? That's a huge question. And then Dr. Saltz also talked about the medications prescribed. Are they covered by your plan? Is there another medication under a different brand name, but that's the same that would um, also do the job and be at a lower cost to you? You want to find these things out. So it's talking to the insurance provider about it and also talking to your medical team, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Um, also, the insurance provider, depending on the, the insurance company you have, they may also be able to assign you a case manager. And that's someone who would connect with you by phone, see how you're doing, and be able to answer a lot of these questions. If you're not covered under health insurance, and I know Ms. Wolf really addressed a lot of this, but talk to the treatment center, talk to the hospital um, financial services department or your local department of health. 
you know, find out what benefits you may be eligible for and apply for those. So you want to first address those things. Another piece of this is talking to the healthcare team and talking to them as soon as you can about your financial situation. You know, again, Dr. Saltz brought this up, and it's so important. Healthcare providers may not always ask patients about their coverage or their ability to pay for out-of-pocket expenses. And, you know, in the same note, patients don't always feel comfortable sharing that information, sharing their personal financial information with their provider. But it's so important because, you know, if you can do this, you can resolve financial issues um, right off the bat or as soon as you can because, as we talked about, financial strain, it's going to increase your stress, and it also could limit access to needed treatment. So patients, providers, um, you know, patients and the medical team really can work together to devise ways of reducing costs without compromising your treatment. So you want to connect with the doctors, you want to connect with the medical team, any pa uh, patient financial services, social workers, patient advocates. You know, you want to find out what's available. You know, also the treatment center may be able to reduce charges. They may have special funding available. Um, it depends on the, the treatment center you go to. They also may be able to offer you a payment plan, which can also reduce the stress where you're paying just small uh, amounts per month for what you owe. So you want to talk to them about it. The other piece of this, and uh, this is something I really, really can't stress enough, and that's addressing these issues as soon as you can. Do not ignore bills when they come in. And I say that because once a bill goes to collections, it can be harder to resolve. So um, that's a huge piece of it. And I know, you know, this sounds like a tall order, especially when you're going through treatment. You may not be feeling well. Um, but there are organizations out there that can help you do this or at least help you um, organize some of it and direct you to where you can go for help. I also recommend keeping a log or keeping a diary of your expenses. You know, people do this in different ways. You could keep it in a notebook or a ledger. Um, some people like to do it on their computer. Uh, whatever way that you can do this, so getting copies of all of your bills, keeping it um, in, a, in a diary of expenses, just so you sort of have it in front of you. You can catch billing errors. They do sometimes happen. It also just helps you be on top of and, and better manage your finances. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit now about where you can get help. Um, so we've talked about the insurance company. We've talked about your treatment center. Again, talk to them. Talk to your medical team about your finances. I'm also going to talk about some other organizations that can help. So uh, the American Cancer Society I'm going to start with, and they have a really fantastic uh, program with their National Cancer Information Center. And I, I don't know if you have this information in your brochures. You may. I'm just going to give it to you right now. You can reach them at one 800 227 two, three, four, five. And when you call them, you're going to connect to their patient navigators. They're very knowledgeable about what's out there. So that's a great place to connect to. They also have a program called the Health Insurance Assistance Services, the HIAS, um, and that really helps educate patients and caregivers and family members about health insurance options, the Affordable Care Act. So that's a great place to start. Um, to go to to get information about all of this. I also recommend checking in with the Patient Advocate Foundation. Um, they're known um, for their copay relief program, which is wonderful. 
but also just their main department. Their main mission is to provide um, mediation arbitration services to patients to remove obstacles uh, to healthcare. And that includes um, debt crises, access to insurance, employment issues. Um, they really have just so much information also about what else is out there for patients. Where can they go to access resources? Um, the case managers also can sometimes act as a, a middleman or a liaison between patients and insurer, employer, creditor, that type of thing. You can reach them at 1-800-532-5284. And then you can also reach them online, and that's just www.patientadvocate.org. And so those are two places to get in touch with. I know Ms. Wolf also talked about um, if you're dealing with legal issues, the National Cancer Legal Services Network, going to their website to get resources. And then I'm also going to mention another, which is the Cancer Legal Resource Center. And that is actually a joint program. It's through the Disability Rights Legal Center and Loyola Law School in Los Angeles. They provide information uh, and education on cancer-related legal issues um, through their national telephone assistance line, and I'm going to give that to you uh, in a minute. They really provide assistance with a variety of legal issues, from insurance concerns, appeals, uh, employment rights, leave time with employment, access to health care, government benefits, estate planning. You know, it runs the gamut. So I'm going to give you their phone number, which is 866 843-2572, and you can find them online, and that's www.disabilityrightslegalcenter.org. So that is just another place um, to check into, along with the other resources that Ms. Wolf and Ms. McCourt gave us. And then also, you can call us. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what we do. Um, so cancer care, and I know you guys have this information in uh, your brochures, but we're a national nonprofit organization that provides free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Our programs include individual counseling. We do that face-to-face -face in the New York area and over the phone nationally. We have support groups that we do face-to-face -face in New York and over the phone nationally. We also provide those online nationally and internationally. We have education programs like the one we're on today. We also provide practical help uh, in terms of navigating some of these financial issues, navigating the healthcare system, and we do provide some financial assistance. We provide some assistance with transportation, home care, and child care, uh, as well as some funding available for pain and anti-nausea medications, uh, oral medications, hormonal medications, um, lymphedema supplies, and some durable medical equipment. So you can call us for that. And then we do have our copay foundation that Ms. McCourt spoke about. So we're here. You know, you can always call our Hope Line for these services and also for the support services because at the end of the day, you know, none of this is sort of separate from the other. Um, you know, I talked earlier just about the stress of dealing with finances and all of this, and that does affect your overall care. You know, the financial toxicity that Dr. Saltzfors mentioned 
does affect, you know, your stress and how you go through this. Know that we're here for you. We're here to help you through this. We're here to help you talk about this. You know, you can always call us on this line. And um, you have this in your, your information, but I'm going to give it to you again. It's 1-800, our HOPE line, 1-800-813-HOPE. And that's 1-800-813-4673. You can call us if you're looking for assistance navigating all of this. You can also call us just to find out about our support services or even just to talk if you're having a tough day. You know, I cannot stress enough that you don't have to do this alone. And I think, you know, when you're first diagnosed, it can feel like you are doing this alone. You don't have to. You don't have to walk this path alone. Cancer care is really here for you um, to be with you in this. You know, we've learned a lot from today's program. There's a lot of information to kind of digest and get your arms around. Our social workers are here to help you understand what it means for you and your family. We can also help you organize some of this. So please, you know, remember you're not alone in this. We're here to help you. Any questions at all that are coming up around this or if you have any questions about the resources from today's talk, call us. You know, we're here to help you. Thanks so much for your attention and the opportunity to talk today. Oh, thanks so much, uh, Sarah. That was just really wonderful. Lots of information, lots of resources. We'll be sending you all those resources um, also after the program as well. Some of you have gotten them during the program, and um, I want to thank you. And we'll, I know we have wonderful questions during the, the question and answer period now. And now we do have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions. I want to ask, actually, Stephanie, to explain to all of you how to keep questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. So, um, Stephanie? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Emil S. Your line is open. Hi, I just wanted to make a comment that a lot of the companies that provide meds and uh, supplies give free samples. They have coupons. Uh, can lower the cost of your out-of-pocket expenses, and uh, you should take advantage of it. Also, doctors also give free samples of meds and also other uh, uh, products. Well, thank you so much, uh, Emil. Good to have you on the call, an excellent comment. And um, do, does um, uh, Michelle, do you want to comment on that as well? Um, well, yes, you basically reiterated that a lot of the uh, drug companies do offer types of different types of programs. And again, my suggestion is always to, um, you know, find out the name of the manufacturer who makes your medication and contact them directly because they do provide support, uh, reimbursement and support services and can refer you, um, if they can't help, you can refer you to uh, a foundation like Cancer Care if they offer a fund. Thank you. And Dr. Sulp, do you want to comment about the samples? Yes, thanks. If I could comment on that, um, one needs to be a little bit careful about that. Sometimes it's very useful, and it's an important point to have brought up, and thank you for doing so. Um, but look at the whole picture, because remember that this is part of the company's business promotion strategy, and it may get you down the garden path of using a drug that you're using because it's a free sample, but then when the free samples run out and you need to buy it, may be more expensive than some alternatives. This is especially true with branded products when there are generic alternatives. So um, it, it, one has to be 
careful and remember that basic rule of economics that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody's buying it, paying for it with some business agenda, and uh, it's important to keep one's eyes open about these things. And I think that's an excellent point. And I think in terms of keeping your eyes open, you also also want to always check expiration dates on anything you're given. Um, it's just really important. And I don't know if you want to comment on that, Dr. Saltz, in terms of just being proactive about that, even though... Yeah, we tend to be very careful about that. I, I, I don't think most people would be giving... Uh, uh, by the way, a lot, of, a lot of doctors in our institution will not give free samples because it's considered a promotional aspect from a company kind of thing. So... It's it's something that 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 uh, you you can expect to find in some places and not others. As far as expiration dates, there it, it's important to realize that something that's past its expiration date may be less potent. There may be less drug to it. It's not dangerous. So it, it's not like uh, you know if 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 you've got something that. Uh, it, it expired in July and now it's August. Are you, should you be afraid to take it while you're finding something appropriate? Not, no, I wouldn't be worried about that. Um, but if something is, is well out of date, it, 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 you just may not be taking an active medication. It may have simply uh, deteriorated to the point where it's not working. Well, thank you. That's very helpful to hear. Thank you very much. And um, one of our online participants has um, a question. Um, uh, during my treatment, I found help available for medical expenses, but as an unemployed single person, I found precious little help to cover living expenses, utility bills, car insurance. What resources are available for these essentials? And that is perhaps a, a billion-dollar question to some extent. I was going to say a million-dollar question, but I'm going to bump it up a bit because that really is a, an excellent question to ask. I'm going to ask Sarah if you could start by just addressing in a general way, um, hoping that this might provide some resources to our to our caller here. Absolutely. So, you know, with the medic medications, medical expenses, um, it can be easier, I think, to access some of that care. There's a lot of national programs that cover those things. For living expenses, it is harder to find assistance for that. Often the assistance is going to be from locally based organizations. There are a few national organizations, um, depending on diagnosis. Um, that can help with some of the day-to-day -day expenses, utilities, um, rent, uh, even something like putting gas in the car, that type of thing. Um, a lot of them are going to be local organizations. So what you want to do, you know, if you're coming up against this, A, talk to the treatment center. See what they know. A lot of the times they have got good resources, especially locally in the community, about what's available. Talk to them first. Call us. You know, we are a national organization that does provide assistance um, for those sort of day-to-day -day expenses. As I said earlier, for transportation, home care, and child care, those are the day-to-day -day expenses that we cover. Small grants, but a little something to help. You can call us. We also will be able to kind of direct you to some other organizations that might provide that assistance. And then you, you do want to talk to the treatment center about your finances just generally and see is there anything you're eligible for. I mean, are you eligible for disability, um, which is a, a federal program? Are you avail uh, available, el eligible for that? You want to find out the resources to you. So talk to the treatment center. Talk to us. Um, also, the organizations I mentioned earlier would be able to help, too. So American Cancer Society, the Patient Advocate Foundation also has a lot of good resources. You want to reach out at that point if you're struggling with those day-to-day -day expenses. 
And actually, Sarah makes an excellent point. And the other thing is sometimes there may be resources for something that you didn't think to ask for. Like there may be resources around food or some other thing that actually then may free up funds for other things. So although funds are limited, and I'm hearing you say very little funds, nevertheless, so it isn't a bad idea wherever you are is to see a social worker in that setting or whoever, someone who can help you with these issues. Often oncology social workers have a have a kind of a all kinds of funds available and things like that that might be things that we could tap into for you and then try the national groups as well but cast a very wide net if they don't have exactly what you need see if they have something else that could help you um also um so you want to talk about some of the entitlement programs as well that people often don't think they're entitled to get but they might be actually yeah, so, you know, I think uh, especially with something like a cancer diagnosis, if you've been working, um, you know, and you have never had to access these programs, you know, sometimes you don't think to access them once your income has been reduced, once, let's say, um, you're not able to work and then there's no income. To access these programs, the best place to start is actually at the treatment center, doctor's office. They should be knowledgeable about these programs and be able to get you started. If not, if for some reason um, you know they don't have that information, check in with your local uh, health department. You can start there. They would be able to get you connected. Also, your local United Way. Um, in most areas, it's just calling 211. They do have a lot of information about entitlements and benefits, and they can get you connected to the right place in your community and the right organization to get you started with it. So those are just a few places you can go to. And there's another question here. Where can I get assistance for, for my remaining balance of my medical bills that my insurance didn't cover? Sarah, could you address that initially? And I'm sure. Gonna test around sure. It, it depends on what they're for. Um, you know, for medications, um, you may be able to get assistance through a copay department, and, you know, maybe Ms. McCord can talk a little bit more about that. It just depends. Um, you know, are they older bills or are you still in treatment? You know, every... Um, copay organization has different guidelines about when they can help and what they help with. And then, of course, contacting the places I mentioned earlier to see what else is out there. Again, if there is nothing, if you're kind of coming up against brick walls, there's nothing really out there uh, that's able to help you with these remaining bills, I highly recommend talking to the billing department, the financial department of the hospital, doctor's office, treatment center, where you're going, work out a payment plan with them. You know, you do not want these bills to kind of add up and add up and get into collections and have that looming over you. So you really want to address it. So first, it's sort of reaching out, seeing what's out there for those bills. And then, you know, if you are really not finding anything, working with um, the place where you owe the bills, usually the hospital, and, and find out if you can work out a payment plan with them where you're paying a, a manageable amount. Excellent. And uh, Ms. McCourt, did you want to comment further on this in terms of this remaining balance? People may not realize that it they might be a copay for them. Right. Um, yeah, I would just echo what Sarah said, that um, you know some of the copay foundations do offer retroactive assistance, but it's important to get in touch with them directly if they have a fund for your type of cancer um, to find out how far back they will go. Um, I believe uh, Patient Advocate Foundation might go back um, a year, but again, I would recommend that you contact them directly. Um, and then it is important to, to go to the facility where you had the treatment 
um, to see if there's any kind of programs within the facility um, or if they have a debt reduction program or if they're able to write off any of those balances for you. And the writing off is really an important thing to, to ask about because many people don't think to do that and, um, and also may not right. get their ducks in a row in terms of asking their healthcare team to help with it, um, to ask a, um, another organization to help them with it, or to have an advocate working with you on that. That's a really excellent point. And Ms. Wolf, do you want to comment on this as well in terms of this um, remaining balance, in terms of just the appeals or what, what to do about that? Well, if it's a remaining balance which you're obligated to owe, you know, if it's a copay or a deductible, I don't think an appeal will be a, will be helpful. But I certainly do agree to with everything that's been suggested. But also to, as 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 was mentioned, you know, talk to the if it's a hospital, talk to the hospital. They often do have financial assistance programs, and um, it can be very helpful. Um, some incomes, such as disability income, are what's known as exempt income, which means even if somebody is sued and there's a judgment against them, um, the creditor cannot touch their disability income. It's, it's exempt from collection. So also worthwhile to speak to an attorney if you feel overwhelmed with, you know, with, um, with debt from your cancer treatment. We de would definitely recommend that, and particularly a pro bono attorney, as Deborah Wolf is, and the firm that she is involved with, and the resource that we that she had given out to all of you. Do you want to repeat that again, uh, Deborah? We're going to be sending that out to all of you, but just in case someone's right now needing to have that information. Just the National it? Cancer Legal Resource Network. It's nclsn.org. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. That's really important. Um, and we have two more questions. We're really almost at end time, but I do, they're both important. So I'm going to ask, we're going to try to address them. Um, they're from actually um, our um, online participants. Uh, one is in terms of are there copay or are there any assistance programs available to individuals who are not legal residents visiting from another country to receive treatment? So is there any assistance for them? And um, Sarah, could you start with that one? Sure. So in terms of getting assistance for copays, Again, it's going to be a local organization. You know, Ms. McCord can speak on this. I actually don't know of any national organizations that assist with medical copays, um, but there may be some organizations locally. It could be treatment centers uh, that, that might be able to help with that. And then for the day-to-day -day expenses, there are some organizations out there um, that may be able to help. Again, reach out um, to the resources I gave earlier, and they can direct you where to go. Um, um, uh, Michelle, do you want to comment on that as well? Sure. Um, most of the foundations um, do require that the, the, the applicant is a U.S. citizen, um, but really, you know, mainly that they have insurance, um, which a lot of times if you don't have citizenship, you don't have insurance. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think it's more of a local um, you, you're probably better off finding local resources, um, but it, you should always contact the foundation if one exists for your type of cancer to see what they can do for you. Excellent. Okay. Um, and Ms. Wolf, what about emergency assistance of some sort? Is that available for? Right, and that varies state to state, but there are some states, including New York, where somebody who is not a citizen or a resident can still qualify for emergency Medicaid if they are diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. So check with the state where you live to see if there's Medicaid 
um, benefits that may be available. And um, there may be, there are policies that are available in other countries um, for people who come to the United States for treatment. Um, so also if you're coming from another country, check with, you know, check there to see if there's any international policies that are available to you. And some of them don't have pre-existing condition exclusions. Excellent. Thank you. And uh, last question. Um, it seems like the qualification criteria for the financial assistance programs are very complicated and even change frequently. Are there any good ways for people to get personalized help online besides internet searches or needy meds? And um, Ashley, Sarah, could you just address that? It's, a, it's an excellent question. It, it is complex. So um, we want you to very much work with um, advocates and oncology social workers, and I think probably Sarah can kind of sum this up for you. Yeah, and it's, you know, I think to, to address that, there's no, um, how can I say it? There's no kind of one place to go and get all of that information. You really need to contact each organization, and it's knowing that all of this does change. There is a website um, that I do recommend, and I should have mentioned earlier, the Cancer Financial Assistance Coalition. And it's a group of organizations, uh, including Cancer Care, actually, who came together to try to create a database um, to help people find financial assistance. And you go on there, you put in your zip code and your diagnosis, and it will pull up everything that's locally and nationally in that database. Now, it certainly doesn't cover everything in there. I mean, it's fairly comprehensive. It doesn't have everything, but it doesn't have those, um, those guidelines. It doesn't have, okay, you need to yearly income this, or you need to be in treatment. It doesn't have those listed. And for that, I highly recommend calling each organization because it does change. Um, you know, some organizations require one thing, some require another, so you want to check in directly with them. But let me give you the, the website. Let me give you the website address for the Cancer Financial Assistance Coalition. And that's www. And I apologize, guys, my dot, radiator dot C, is. It's actually at cfact.org. Yeah, that's it. Okay, and actually you all got that actually in your materials. Oh, and good. you'll be sent okay. that as well. So um, um, thank you very much. And I, I want to thank our speakers. You've been extraordinary. I want to thank all of you who've asked such really great questions. There are a few of your questions that we're not, we didn't get to just because this is an hour program and that I want to encourage everyone to call Cancer Care with any question you may have at the end of this call at 1-800-813-HOPE. I think Sarah Kelly is an excellent example of our oncology social work staff here in terms of their really knowing a lot of the resources, and if we don't have it, we'll be able to help walk you through it. As many of you have pointed out, it's complicated, and you definitely want to do this with an advocate. Um, I definitely recommend that you want somebody, what I mean by an advocate is you want a professional person working with you at no cost. You want to have either a social worker or a nonprofit organization helping you with these questions um, and really helping to figure out ways to, to cope with them and not having to throw up your hands and thinking you have to do this all by yourself. So most importantly, as we are about to conclude this program today, I don't want any one of you to think that you're alone in trying to figure this, these things out. I want you to now know that you're part of the cancer care community and that we're here to help you. And we are simply a telephone call away or a website away from you. You're simply our email away from us. You're so close to us. Just don't hesitate to call. And I want to thank you all for your participation today, an extraordinary group of both speakers and participants. And I want to wish you all a very fine day. And you've certainly given us lots of ideas for many programs just based on the questions you've been asking today. So thank you all. 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect, and everyone have a wonderful day.